missionaries are Brian and Jennifer, uh, Joe and Kijo, Michael and Miga, mm. Jimmy Rodriguez, Pierre and Molly, Mark and Kelly, and Nico, which uh, I pray, Lord Jesus, that you bless them, that you strengthen them. I pray that they will continue to spread the gospel, Father God, and we pray for provision as well for all of them, my Lord Jesus. So we thank you for their life and for their desire to share the good news with those who uh, they get in contact with, Father God. And for us, Father God, we pray uh, for this, uh, this fellowship, Father God, that you continue to add to our fellowship, to those who are being saved, Father God. We thank you. We pray, Lord Jesus, that we will be your hands and feet, Father God, and that we will be... Uh, attentive to the leading of the Holy Spirit, Father God. So, Lord, as we come together to hear from you this morning, Father God, I ask you, Lord Jesus, that you will be with us, that you give us ears to hear and eyes to see what your Spirit is going to speak to us this day, Father God. So we thank you for your love for us, Father God. We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for the transformation power that is in you, Father God, and with the power of the Holy Spirit even in us, Father God. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you use your servant this morning, Father God, that you give him the strength that he needs to deliver the message that you already have placed in his heart, Father God. So we thank you, and we pray, Lord Jesus, that we will do exactly what you call us to do, Father God, to tell someone about your great love for them, Father God, and your mercy and your forgiveness, Lord God. So we thank you. And I pray for those who uh, will, lead, will, will be in contact today or during this week, Father God, that we will be attentive to you leading. And I pray that you prepare the ground, Father God, for them to receive the good news of, of the gospel, Father. So we thank you. We give this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. May I be like you, open to the movements of your heart, blessed in the keeping of your promise, faithful friend of God. May I
hope that we have in your return, Father. That those who are in Christ will see you, Lord. Oh, Father, I pray that we would be like those virgins, Lord, who the lamps are filled and not like the ones whose lamps weren't. Pray, God, that you would give us a greater hunger and thirst for righteousness, Father, for your name's sake, that we truly would have a hunger for more of you and less of us, God. The newness of life that we have because of you, Lord Jesus. God, we can't keep feasting on what's behind us and where we've been and who we were. Your word says, God, that we're to reckon ourselves dead to sin, but alive in Christ, that we've nailed the old man, the old woman to your cross, and we crucified them there. God, that we may live the newness of life to go forth to declare the good news of the risen King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus, the Son of God. Father, you know where we all are at today. God, you're so pleased to continue to reveal yourself to us. God, it's your desire that none shall perish, but that all would enter into eternal life with you, Lord. And so, Holy Spirit, have your way among us and in us and through us this day. And may we open, as we open up your word, Father, may God, we not get distracted, but God, may we pay close attention as you lead and guide us through the living word, that it may take root and be planted in good soil of our hearts, that ultimately, God, our lives would just bring glory and honor to you. That's what it's all about, Father. It's not even about us. <laughs> it's all for you. And so, Father, have your way. And we thank you for this, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Application. Sustained effort, hard work. So how's your week been? <laughs> what did you take from the last time we were together? The word that you heard? Or the word that you studied this week? How have you encouraged yourself in it? How have you encouraged others in it? If there's no encouraging happening, if there's no meditating on it, if there's nothing coming from it but just hearing it, it is of no value to us. We must be doers of the word. James tells us that we just can't be hearers, but we must be doers. We, we can't be the man that looks intently into the mirror and then turns away and forgets what he looks like. No, we are born again. We, we understand the old nature. We understand what the old nature likes, what it wants, how we fed it, how, how it, it, it was in control of us. But in Christ, we are new creations. And we are feeding the Spirit now because we are born again of the Spirit. We're not living according to the dictates of the flesh any longer. No, we're walking in the Spirit. 
and the Spirit. To walk habitually in the Spirit so that we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You see, that is sustained work. That, that, that's hard work. A sustained effort. And so when we think about application, remember applying the Bible to the duty is the duty of all Christians. If we don't apply it, the Bible becomes nothing more to us than a normal book. And then practical collection of old manuscripts. That's why Paul says, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. Listen to that promise. As you apply God's word, the God of peace will be with you. When we apply the Bible, God himself is with us. The degree the degree to which you study, memorize, and meditate on God's words is the degree to which we understand how it applies to our lives. But understanding how the word applies is not enough. We must actually apply it. It has to be practical. It has to, it has to be an understanding. Not in and of ourselves, but as the Holy Spirit leads us. As He's teaching us. He's our comforter. He's our guide. He's our counselor. So application implies action. And obedient action is the final step in causing God's word to come to life in our lives. The application of scripture enforces and further enlightens our study. And it also serves to sharpen our discernment. And oh my goodness, we all should know this by now. Helping us to better distinguish between good and evil. Are you distinguishing between good and evil? And what does that really mean? Because you've heard me say that since January. So what does that mean for you? Like, how are you going about your day distinguishing between good and evil? You know, life and death are set before you. And the Word of God encourages us to choose life. We just don't keep choosing that which is wrong, the old mindset, the old ways. That which is evil. See, everything of the flesh is evil. Everything of what's behind us in Christ is evil. Everything in Christ, and as we go forward, is good. And so daily, as we're going through, and we understand the book of Galatians tells us that the flesh and the spirit, they war against each other in you. That is never going to cease. And so with this understanding, are you engaged daily Moment by moment, to feed the Spirit, to act and to walk in the Spirit. No longer giving in to the desires of the flesh. Like you recognize it and you go, oh no, that's the old me. And that is not who I am any longer. And I will pursue and I will seek God. And how I'm to act now. How I'm to talk now. What my hands should be going towards. What my thoughts should be. And where my feet should be leading me. You see, because it's a new life. It's a new life. It's not just the old life with something put on it. No, it's a new life in Christ. It's recognizing Him as who we ought to see Him as. As the risen king, the son of God, the one who defeated sin and death. 
What sin did he not conquer in your life? And you say, what kind of question is that? Well, just think about your week. What mastered you this week? Your bad attitudes, your, your unbelief, your, your lust, your, your this, your that, your insecurities. You know, we can just go on and on. But until we have the rightful place of Christ in our life and on our hearts, we're always going to second guess him. Either he's God or he's not. Either he's victorious or he's not. You see, the tomb is empty. If you truly believe in Jesus Christ, and it goes back to, man, ever since I read that little statement that one pastor said, I'm just so moved by this past few weeks. You know, when people say, oh yeah, I know Jesus, and you know, ask them, which Jesus? What Jesus are you serving? Is he the true son of God? Or is he just a religion? A man-made religion that just allows you to, to feel good about yourself. You see, your Christian walk and your Christian belief is just not, it's not for you. It has nothing really to do with you. It has all to do with Christ. But when the flesh gets a hold of it, the flesh turns it into what it desires for me to do it. You see, the flesh doesn't mind you doing religious works because religious works will never set you free. They will only lead you to death. This realm up here, when Ephesians tells us, we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but with principalities and rulers in the air and the darkness. And you've heard this over and over, but are you taking it serious? Like that realm up there doesn't mind if you worship a Jesus. In fact, it'll give you a Jesus. It just won't be Jesus. <laughs> because the enemy is a deceiver. He counterfeits everything that God does. That's why the world, in and of itself, it's preparing for its Christ, the Antichrist. The, the, the stage is being set. But what are we doing with this as the church, with this knowledge? What are you doing with it as a Christian, with this knowledge? And then the world system. The world system doesn't mind you having a Jesus. But it minds you having the Jesus, the true Son of God. I want you to think about this. Because this is the reality. Jesus, the Son of God. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God gave, God gave, God gave out of his great love for us. But yet for so long we're told how bad God is and God's the one with the problem. But it's not God that has the problem. It's us. We're in rebellion towards him. We're his enemy. We don't want him on the throne. We want us, we want things from him. Give me, give me, give me, do for me, do for me, do for me. But that's not God. That's not God. God so loved the world. God gave his one and only son. 
Jesus. And his purpose was to reconcile a broken, rebellious creation back to the Creator. So again, what sin in your life is mastering you that you feel Jesus didn't do enough to set you free from? What excuses or what rights are you giving yourself to continue to remain enslaved to the old mindset, to the old ways? What excuses do you hear that give you the right to say, well, I don't need to be that holy or that religious. I don't need to be one of those fanatics. I can have my little bit over here and a little bit of Jesus and I'm okay, right? No. Where do you see that? I've challenged myself and I'll challenge you. Go read the word. We have made him so common. And it's going to continue. Do you understand? I, I keep telling you all, not because of anything of me, but just the word of God tells us. But you can just look out there. I mean, as the days are progressing to his return... Christians are going to be pushed out of society. You're not going to be welcomed. You're going to actually be looking, looked at as one who is promoting hate. You're the problem. You're the issue. Because they see him as a problem and him as an issue. And that should open up your eyes to just spiritual war. And you've heard me say it over and over Like, it doesn't make sense. The teachings of Jesus, the true Jesus, and what God did through him, and then he then shows us how, as his followers, we are to be living. If you're calling yourself a Christian today, if you're not, that's fine. I'm glad you're here and you're hearing of Jesus. (laughs) But you understand, like, If you're calling yourself a Christian, you're to live. This is what the Bible says. This isn't what man says. This is what the Bible says. Here's your standard. You're to live as Jesus lived. That's the standard. No matter what your age is. That's the standard. It doesn't even matter your background. It doesn't matter. If you are in Christ, you have been born again of a new nature. And you're to be living differently, thinking differently, acting differently. Everything about you is to be changing. You're not settling for what was back here. No, you're, you're, you're moving now in a newness of life, empowered by the Spirit of God, God Himself in you. And the Bible says we're not to be living lives that grieve the Holy Spirit. No, but there's a way in which we are called to live. And so just think about that for a second. Again, Jesus. Some people will see him as a good man. Some people will see him as a prophet. Some people will see his teachings and goes, oh, those, those are nice teachings. <laughs> but they'll never, they'll never claim him as the Son of God. But if you think about the teachings of Christ, if you think about him just being a good man, <laughs> like what harm does he bring? to the communities that his name is mentioned. 
I mean, that's how we're going to look at him. He brings no harm. Oh, follow him, you know, do his things because, you know, all that's nice. And, oh, look, you know, they're productive people and so forth. And the world doesn't mind that. This realm doesn't mind that. Your flesh doesn't mind that. But start talking like Jesus talked. You see, Jesus came and he served. He humbled himself. He's the greatest servant of all. But in his servanthood, he didn't lose sight of who he was. He's God. He knew his purpose. So not only do I want you to follow me, he says, but understand my purpose. Pick up your cross. Because you're going to have to die to yourself. This life and now, you shall live in me, is going to be different. Because that old you, that you, is a problem. And once you start speaking that, watch people get upset. Watch even how you respond. When you hear that you're a sinner and that you're an enemy of God. See, it should either humble you to repent or the only other way you're going to go is to get angry. And to draw away from God. And then create your own God. To satisfy your own desires. And that's no God at all. You see, the issue with Jesus that this realm has, and the world has, and your flesh has, is he demands you to come and be reconciled back to your creator. His main message is, you're not in charge anymore. Like your original purpose is to serve your creator. Not because he forces you, not for anything else. But just full submission and surrender to him. Like why would we settle? And you've heard me say this over and over. Why would we settle for the created? Why are we as Christians continue to pursue the created? Why are we still living in old mindsets of bondage, of insecurities, of anger, of what unbelief, whatever it is? Why would we continue to choose that when we know ultimately it leads us nowhere? It may feel right in the moment and it may feel very comfortable for a second, but it's not worth your eternity. So I keep trying to encourage you, you should care more about your soul than your flesh. You should understand the depths of your being. And so application is vital. That's so why you got me through December if the Lord keeps me here. And that's all I'm going to keep encouraging you in. Is apply the word of God. If you want to see change in your life, Apply truth. You can't blame God. You can't blame this. You can't blame that person or this or that and all this other junk that people do. No, the problem is you. The problem, well, you don't know what they did. It doesn't matter. Stop telling me what others did. What have you done? Because that's the reality. Well, they treated me this. They did this. They did that. Okay, okay. And you live in a fallen world. 
But what are you doing? How are you walking? How are you taking thoughts captive and bringing them underneath his lordship? How are you responding when you're insulted? How are you being Christ-like when you're being led to the slaughter? You see, he's our standard. And apart from him, we could do nothing. Apart from all we have is these gatherings that amount to nothing. Anyone can gather. But the church, the body of Christ, throughout the earth, are people who just don't gather. But they live in the newness of life. The newness of life. And they're hungry to know their God. God, if you did this for me, why would I hold back from you? Like, oh no, you press in, you press in. So as a final word on application, it's important to know that we are not alone in trying to understand and apply God's word to our lives. God has filled us with his spirit who speaks to us, leading and guiding us into all truth. For this reason, Paul instructs believers to walk by the spirit. For he is a very present help in our time of need. The Spirit will faithfully guide us into the will of God. Always causing us to do what is right. Who better than to teach how to live according to all that is written in the Bible than the one who inspired the Bible to begin with, the Holy Spirit himself. Therefore, let us do our part by hiding the word in our hearts and obeying the Holy Spirit as he draws the word out of us. You're never going to grow as a Christian. And I, and I love the fact <laughs> that we have some people who would say, well, you know, it's not for everyone. You know, it's for people who had a really dirty past that needs more of the word. <laughs> what kind of nonsense is that? Well, not everyone's called to, you know, do this or do that. What? Like, where is that even in the Bible? We're God's people, God's purpose, God's plan. To have a people that he will call his own, and in return they will call him their God. From the beginning to the end, and for all eternity. This is God's plan. And he's not a respecter of a person. And what Christ did for you, and you, and you, and me, and you, he does for everyone. And then he calls everyone to the same call. Because we all have the same problem. Sin. Unbelief. But now we've been born again. And the difference within us is how the Spirit has distributed gifts among us. To accomplish his purpose. His plan. For his kingdom. (laughs) That's why we're to be the people of God doing the will of God for the glory of God. You see, it's all for him. I mean, again, you can settle for what's behind you. And you can stay enslaved and in torment to all of your pain and misery. And I don't make light of it. Because I have my own pain and misery. But if that's where I would sit every single day, what good is that going to do for me? And what good? Why would I want to remain someone's victim for the rest of my life? Why would I want to be bound up in insecurities and and, and just foolishness 
when freedom is being offered to me, to you. Wholeness. Nothing missing, nothing broken. That's what I keep encouraging you. How are you living? How are you going about your day? How are you practically putting things into place that you hear, that you say you believe? Because what nonsense is it to say I believe and yet I do nothing? There's no obedience. There's nothing coming from your life. And yet somehow you, you have this false sense of security. Oh, I'm saved. Do you understand that's been a concept from the beginning all the way to the end? People are going to stand before him and say, well, didn't I do this? And didn't I do that? And didn't I do this? And I did it all in your name. And he says, depart from me. I don't even know you. You worker of sin. You worker of self. You worker of unbelief. I don't know you. Oh, that's a bad God. How can a loving God say that? How could he not? How could he not? What do we want him to be? He is who he is. He's holy, holy, holy. And then he says, be holy as I'm holy. Well, he really didn't mean that, did he? And so we, we second guess. He, he understands my weakness. But God's okay with it. With what? He gave up his one and only son so that you could be freed from that weakness and walk in wholeness. Your choices should be made out of this new identity. I am whole. Because of Christ, because of anything I'm doing, not by any rules or laws that I'm following or any 12 steps that I'm doing. No, but because of Christ, because of Christ, whole. And even in my times of failure, being reminded, no, I'm whole in Christ and repenting and getting up. The Bible says a righteous man falls seven times and each time he gets up and he moves on. Because your Christian walk is a progression of maturity. You're growing, you're maturing. You're not going to be perfected until you're with him. But again, that doesn't give you the right to keep being nasty. To keep reacting and keep living like you're not a good steward. And we talked about stewardship on Friday night. Like you are to be managing what God is giving you. you. You're going to be held accountable. I mean, even when the word of God says you're going to be accountable to God for every idle word you speak. And it probably do some of you just to keep your mouth shut this week. And let that become a discipline in your life. I mean, this is the reality that we're talking about. A holy God. And yet he's being stripped down and made so common in our generation and will continue. There's an all-out war against Christianity. And it's happening within the buildings. <laughs> they want to deconstruct the faith. That's, that's, that's adapted to our generation, to our timing. Do you understand that's making us God? And you better run from it. I keep telling you, whenever you hear the gospel being preached, giving you the right to live however you want, you better run from it. That's not the gospel. Those are demonic teachings. 
that the Bible is very clear about, that in the last days there will be many who will be led astray, and they will begin to follow doctrines, teachings of demons. Like, you understand this realm that you're dealing with? You understand this system that's dealing with you if you're not in Christ? And do you understand that old nature? And you're just going to get up today and just be like, hmm, just another day. Maybe I'll go to church. Maybe I'll do. But the reality is, do, do we understand like what we are called to? Who we are called to? How now then shall we live? God's truth and God's word is vital to a believer. You have to hide it in your heart so that the Spirit of God can draw it out of you. It's ultimately His Word. This is the good news. The gospel, the gospel is not a heavy weight. No, no, it's freeing. Remember, you're to be people of integrity, wholeness. You know, if you if you if before Christ, if you're a liar, stop lying, start speaking truth. Stop holding a false sense of reality that's really no reality of us. I've always said to you. It's not that you're deceiving others. It's just that you've believed your own lies. And you've created a reality that's not even real. And you live in this la-la land. And you're just promoting it and promoting it and promoting it. And then you want to call yourself a Christian. No, it'll probably do you some good just to get real. Then when people come to you and say, well, you say, well, no, you know what? I'm so sorry, that's not true. That's not my past. That's not who I was. That's not what I did. That was just insecurity. That was me just trying to manipulate and to control. Whatever. Just get right. Grab the fruitless deeds of darkness, the Bible says, and bring them into light. If you're a thief, quit stealing, the Bible says. And work hard. Give generously. I mean, I've always told you, you all should be what every employer wants. Hardworking people. Dedicated people, honest people, committed people. There before the, the, the time to, <clears throat> to punch in and maybe having to stay a little bit later. Serving without grumbling, without complaining, without fault finding, without being up in the office gossip and doing whatever. No, I'm just here because I'm not working as unto man, I'm working as unto the Lord. I mean, Christians should be wanted in society because we're hard workers. We produce. But there's a great war against our king. But here's the good news, y'all. The battle's already won. Let the enemy, let the world system, and even let your flesh keep rising up. It's already dealt with. It's already done. And that's why it should do you some wonders to go forth this week and say, it's finished. When the devil comes a breathing down your neck, stop cowering down. Know your God. And remind the enemy, it's finished. When the world system wants to parade itself and lure you to it, you can say, oh no, my interest in you is no longer... And your interest in me is no longer. And when your flesh wants to come a-creeping, 
You remind it. No, no. You're dead. See, I don't know how you're talking to yourself. I don't know how you're doing this throughout the week. But if you're not engaging with your Christian life, with Christ, with the Holy Spirit, man, I'm really concerned for you that somehow you have a false sense of security. You've got your little card, get out of hell free card, and yet you're going to burn in hell for eternity. Because there's no Christ in your life. And that's why Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? I mean, he looked at the religious folk. I mean, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they were well studied. They knew scripture. They knew prophecy. They were God's men of the hour. (laughs) That's how people saw them. That's how they held themselves. Jesus looks at them and says, your father's the devil. You're making people twice as much the son of hell as you are. (laughs) I mean, what do people see in your life? I'm sure they know you go to church. (laughs) But do they know you're Christ? Do they see Jesus through you? Are you a reflection of him? Have they been able to take a step back and go, wow, there's something different about you? Because that's the mark of a believer, you all. That's the mark of a believer. Is transformation. Again, it doesn't mean you're perfect. It doesn't mean you're transformed. And now your desire is Christ and Christ alone. And you say, well, I'm a believer, but I don't have that great of a desire for him. Okay, well, you just recognizing that as the Holy Spirit revealing that to you. So then ask him, God, give me a greater desire. So I've always told you and encouraged you, if you don't feel like you're lacking something in your Christian life, don't go beating yourself up or, oh, I can't live like the rest of them. No, 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 no. no. Ask the Lord for it. The Bible says you have not because you've asked not. Like, this is a walk of maturing. And maturing isn't easy. Do you remember as a kid when you had growing pains? It was uncomfortable. It hurts. And so you maturing may hurt. That's okay. Because through the pain, through the endurance, comes strength. So don't give up. Don't give in. Don't turn back. Don't run back to the pig pen. No, no, you've been washed. You've been cleaned. Remember, first, and I've always said, if you don't see yourself as his enemy, he'll never be your God. You need to recognize the condition you're in and why you need him. And then repent. And as you humble yourself, like the freedom that you receive from doing nothing. He did everything. Everything's given to you. And now it's for you to experience the fullness of this wholeness that he leaves us. Peace I leave you. Peace I give you. The peace in which I give the world cannot give you. That peace, nothing missing, nothing broken. So why are we still seeking for the world to give us something that will sustain us? It never will, you all. Go to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. Scripture you've already seen before. 
But we're seeing them again. I'm going to keep holding these scriptures up in hopes to encourage you in applying God's truth. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. But if we are living in the light, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we are living in the light, living, so your Christian life is to be lived out. It's not just to be held in. This is not a form of religion. I mean, do you all realize this? And again, I've, I've shared the scripture with you over and over. Like you realize the people that we're called to stay away from. It's not the lost. <laughs> but it's those who call themselves Christians. But they have nothing in their life that's been transformed. They hold a form of religion, but they deny his power to transform them. You're not even supposed to sit down and have a meal with someone who calls themselves a Christian and has an anger problem. That's the word of God. But how many people have you said, oh, I'm sorry, I can't have a meal with you until we deal with the anger problem, Maritza? Not that she has one. At least I haven't seen it. But you know what I'm saying? You know how offended you How would she react? Oh, I'm sorry, no, Maritza, I'm, we can't today. You know, because the reality is, is that, you know, you have some issues. You know, but how would we feel like, oh, like who, you know, you know, the first response would be, who are you to judge me? I'm sure you have your issues. Don't we all just have issues? So why are we holding up a standard to each other? Don't judge me. And you see how the enemy gets in and wreaks his habit among the church so that we all just remain ignorant. Oh, yeah, I do have my issue. Oh, yeah, my issue. Oh, yeah, well, okay. And then we're weak and we're, we're weak willed and we're defeated people. And then the outside looks at us and goes, You're no different. You're no different. I mean, that's how I used to view the church as a non believer. Like, why are you constantly asking me to go to church? You don't even believe in your God. I mean, think about that. When I used to be in dark magic and in the occult, and we were assigned to different churches to go pray against, to meditate against, to fast against, to chant against, like there would be some churches, yeah, but there would be other churches in the realm, the spirit realm, the, the anointing, the light, that, oh, no. Like, no, no, there would be times, like, oh, no, I, I'm not doing that. I mean, we see that in the Old Testament, too. Where the other nations, we talked about this on Friday or Wednesday, they, they, they'll respect God. They will even say, he's God. But they don't believe in him. They, they, just, they just keep doing whatever they want to do. But they would fear him. But they would never come to know him. I mean, how crazy is that? How crazy is that? You know, 
If I go to Maritz, I'm just using you as an example because you're just right in front of me. <laughs> so I don't want people to go behind Maritz's back and like, right? But you know, if I sat down and I went to Maritza, for me to be able to say that to Maritza, hopefully Maritza and I already have a good relationship where she knows that if I'm coming to her and I'm sharing something with her, I'm not coming at her to, just, to destroy her or to harm her. Like, my words are not there to, to cut her down and make her feel less than. But if she heard the words, she's not responding to Rob. She's not responding to, to Yvette. She, she's responding <coughs> to the Holy Spirit. The same if Maritza came to me and said, Hey, Rob, can, can we have a conversation? Because here's some concerns I have. And brother, I care enough about you. Now, again, as I'm listening to her, I'm not listening to Maritza. I'm listening to the words that she's sharing because I know that she genuinely cares for me and that she would want to see me grow and mature and not give a foothold to the enemy. You see, this is why we go to each other. This is why we take the word of God serious. Instead of just letting people go and just saying, well, that's just how Gilda is. You know, we just make excuses. Well, you don't, you know, she had a really rough life. You know, it's just how she is. It's how she's always going to be. Where? If you're living in the light, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Doesn't mean that we don't have sin. But you understand it cleanses us from the power of sin in us. It goes back to Romans 6. We're no longer slaves to sin. It has no power over us because of Christ. So we've got to stop making excuses for sin. Do you understand the basis of sin is unbelief? And we're going to have a lot to say in a few minutes about unbelief. But no, there is freedom. There is a way in which we can live and walk upright amongst a wicked and perverse generation. But we've got to start being transparent. We've got to start being honest with each other. We've got to stop just letting things go just to let them go. Because no, the word of God says when the enemy comes in like a flood, there's a standard that's raised up against them. And that standard is righteousness. It's the Holy Spirit coming in and raising up a standard. And that's why the church is in the earth. Because people ought to look and say, oh, there is something different about those people. Like, if you go and you're sharing with someone, especially if they knew you, they ought to see something different about you. To say, again, not pointing to you, but pointing to the God in whom you've called upon. Again, it's bringing him glory. Go to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down 
especially the sin that so easily trips us up and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. Do you hear that? Let us strip off every weight that slows us down. Think about that. And you understand there's an application for you. You just don't come to Christ and sit. I just long to be in heaven. Oh no, you got you got to work because again, your salvation is not based on your works. Your salvation is based on Christ. But a salvation that has no works is really no salvation at all. True salvation, true belief in Christ. You receive the power of the Holy Spirit. You're transformed now to get up now and to walk it out. Works are a fruit of salvation. And so you are putting into practice the truth that you're hearing. And so you are to throw off every weight that slows us down. Especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Throw it off. Sometimes when I'm counseling people, or even when I pull myself in the mirror, because like I've always told you, you should be saying this to yourself before you start going out and about with others. So there's been many a times I've had to pull myself in the mirror. There's been many a times where I've had to get direct with that old man. And you need to do the same. And people just want me to sit with them in the midst of their sin. I don't mind hearing about the fruitless deeds of darkness, and I praise God that you're exposing them. But throw it off. Get up. It goes back to months ago, a little message I shared with you. Jesus says, do you want to be healed? Well, I got no one to pick me up to move me to the pool, Jesus. Well, Jesus, you don't know how rough my life is, Jesus. No, that's not what he asked. Do you want to be healed? Yes. Well, then get up. Pick up your bat and walk. Sometimes we make our sin, we make our issues greater than our God. Like we just push him back in the tomb, roll the stone over it. But no, if you're believing in him... The stone has been rolled away and the tomb is empty. He's alive. And he says, hey, walk in the light as I am in the light. You have been cleansed by my blood. Remember, you're no longer bound by shame and guilt. This is the freedom. This is the good news that we have to go forth and to tell others. And this is what the world is pushing against. This is what this realm is fighting against. And this is what the very nature of mankind does not want to hear. And it makes no sense until you understand it. Oh, this is spiritual. (laughs) This is a war going on here. So throw off. Is it that easy, Rob? Yes, because of Christ. You mean these patterns that I've had my whole life? Yes, and just as you've had this pattern for your whole life, now you have a new pattern. Mm -hmm. 
Throw it off. Every time it comes creeping up, throw it off. Every time it comes around, look for the way out because he makes a way out of every temptation. Because temptation in and of itself isn't sin. But you bite, you get in, you bite into it. And it'll snatch you up. But praise be to God. Throw it off. And get up and run the race with endurance. Application. Sustained effort. Hard work. And this is what we ought to be teaching the upcoming generation. Because trust me, everything else is teaching them. Everything else. Do you understand the, the, the condition of the young generation that's coming up? Everything's been thrown at them to confuse them. To bind them up. To shackle them down. And you have the message of freedom to go tell them there's a God who loves you. And he's made provision for you. It's going to get harder and harder and harder to share the gospel. But we must share the gospel. We must be people who are standing up and declaring truth instead of just sitting back and saying nothing. And saying nothing. This is a radical message that radically transforms lives that we once were, but now we are. Attributes of God. As we think about application, hopefully, hopefully I won't do it, but hopefully, you thought upon an attribute that you've learned already. In our times together. If I said, hey, which attribute did you think upon and meditate upon and put into practice in your life this week? Each of you should be able to say this one or that one or these three or these four or, you know. And you say, but I didn't do anything. I'm a bad Christian. No, you're not a bad Christian, but the question is, why didn't you? Because these are tools given to you to help you grow. Like when you know the character of the, of the God in whom you say you belong to, you'll be able to stand and stand there for them. <laughs> no matter what's happening around you, you can be able to stand with the assurance that you know your God. Like the psalmist, when they wrote the, when they penned under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the book of Psalms. Oh, they had issues. They had sin. They had a lot of stuff going on in their lives. But they didn't, in their writings, they didn't dwell there. They exposed them in light of who their God was. I don't know if you did that this week. Like, I don't know if, if you stood up any time this week and just raised your hands and said, you know what? All of this may try me and try my patience. But I'm going to need to remind this of who my God is. And you say, oh, but that's foolishness. No, you're a fool not to. Especially if you're calling yourself a Christian. Like This is a spiritual walk. We can't keep doing church the way we've done church. Just usher people in and then put them right back out. 
No. Like they need to be soaked. We need to be soaked continually with the presence of God. Abide in me, he says. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We're to not grieve the Holy Spirit. We need to be pressing in and saying, breathe afresh upon me, Lord. Fill me afresh and anew. Like I'm always constantly with you because you're with me. Like I can never escape your presence. Like God, you are for me and not against me. Like see, I don't know how you're talking. But sometimes we talk more about our circumstances. We talk more about what's happening than we do our God. And there's a way in which we ought to be living. And it's to honor Christ. It's to know Christ. So, so far we've heard, we heard, God is infinite. He is self-existing without origin. God is immutable. He never changes. God is self-sufficient. He has no needs. God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. God is omniscient. He is all-knowing. And God is omnipresent. He is always everywhere. So this week, here's a new attribute. God is wise. He is full of perfect, unchanging wisdom. So what does that do for you, just knowing that he's wise? Well, here Romans 11, verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. You see, wisdom is more than just head knowledge and intelligence. A truly wise person is someone who understands all the facts and makes the best decisions. A wise person uses his heart, soul, and mind together with skill and competence. But even the wisest man on earth would never come close to being as wise as God. God is infinitely wise, consistently wise, perfectly wise. Tozer writes, Wisdom, among other things, is the ability to devise perfect ends and to achieve those ends by the most perfect means. It sees the end from the beginning, so there can be no need to guess or conjecture. Wisdom sees everything in focus, each in proper relation to all, and is thus able to work toward predestined goals with flawless perfection. Indeed, we see wisdom like this. We realize just how much our limited, finite wisdom compares with the limitless, infinite wisdom of God. And how comforting and wonderful this is for man to dwell on. The fact that God can never be more wise means he is always doing the wisest things in our lives. No plan we could make for our lives could be better than the plan he has already crafted and is carrying out in us. We might not understand his ways today, but we can trust that because God is infinitely wise, he truly is working all things out in the best way possible for our lives. I said, when you know your God, you can walk. You can get up no matter what goes on in this crazy world. Like, God, this didn't take you by surprise. You're wise. You don't, you're not changing your mind. 
that God, you have it all under control. I may not fully understand, but that's okay. You do. So I would just keep walking it out. I'm just going to keep walking it out. That which I know to be true. Do you understand? Like, this is what I'm saying. Like, I don't know if this is how you're living, but this is how you should be engaging daily. And so I just go to church. And then you just let life beat the hell out of you all week. You let temptations run amok. You let sin master. You let this realm and that realm and the old man and the old woman run you ragged. And then you're exhausted by the time you come to church. But you're to be engaging with God. You're, be, you're being, to be engaging with the Holy Spirit every hour of every second and every moment. You just don't turn it on and turn it off, turn it on and turn it off. Well, I'm a Christian friend. I'm going to act Christian. No. It is who you are. It's everything about you. You're not settling any longer. I once was. I'm no longer. It's a very hard decision to make. But Jesus understands that because he looks and he says, it's going to cost you something. So before you come, this is Jesus's words, unless we like to paint him out to be this weird hippie. No, no, no. He tells them, before you come after me, before you follow me, consider the cost. Because it's going to cost you Everything. He didn't say, come and say a little prayer. Poof, you're a Christian. Poof, you're a Christian. Poof, you're a Christian. And what we've done with his message, good God. Millions upon millions of people have prayed a prayer. And somehow they think they're saved. That's not even scriptural. Now, should we pray with people? Yes, we should pray with people. But the reality is, Jesus says, if you have a belief and a confession that I am the Son of God and that I rose from the dead, you shall be saved. And you say, well, I have that belief in the confession. Not if you're living against Him. Because that belief and that confession alone is your foundation. It's the solid foundation. And everything now you do is based on that truth. I don't know if you look at it that way, but you ought to. Jesus says it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you everything. So he just wasn't passing out hugs and muffins. Oh, everybody love me. Everybody love me. Everyone look at me. No, no. He understood their condition. He didn't want some false hype. He wanted truth. Because he's truth. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. He says, in this world you will have trouble. But be of good cheer. I mean, he was really direct with people. That they're going to hate you. They're going to expel you out of the synagogues. Your children are going to turn against you. Your parents are going to turn against you. People are going to turn against you. It's going to get ugly, he says. Like it's all going to get turned upside down. But keep your eyes on me. I've got you. 
and I've purposed you. I've created you. I knew you even before you took your first breath. I formed you. I numbered the hairs on your heads. I placed good works within you to do for my kingdom. Do we get it, you all? It's just not a church thing. It's a new way of life. It's a new way to live. And people can choose to live however they want. We don't hate people. Jesus didn't hate people. You just live it. And if they want to receive them, great. If they don't, okay, move on. He says, shake the dust off your feet and move on. But by God, we ought to be telling them. We ought to be living. We ought to be uh, just filled with zeal to tell others about God and what God has done, not only just for yourself, but for all mankind. The How to Bird Catechism is just another tool that I've introduced to us in hopes... (laughs) in hopes to to mature you, to to get you grounded in your belief. So I don't know if you're going back with the notes. (laughs) I don't know if you're you're engaging with the tools you're you're giving and understanding the importance of you. So people may not ever come up and ask me those specific questions, but they're going to ask you similar questions. And how are you able to defend the faith? You know what kills me is I hear people talk about their interactions with people and, and, then I, and then I hear their weird statements as if it's like magic powder you're like sprinkling on people and then the, you know, the, whoo, the powder fairy is going to come and, and bring forth. It's the most craziest thing. You say, what are you talking about? Well, it's weird. You're having conversations with people and they're attentive to, to hearing and all of a sudden you go, oh, I don't, want to, I don't want to oppose on them. So I won't give them the full gospel, but I'll blow a little powder on them. You had an opportunity. You had an opportunity. Well, I just watered it down a little because I'm hoping that to engage again. But when did they drop dead? When did they walk out of the, 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 the place and got ran over or shot? You had an opportunity. We have these opportunities to speak to people. Well, I don't want to offend them. You know, they've been in church their whole life. What, what does that mean? What does that mean? <laughs> Well, it's not for me. No, it is for you. Well, I'm praying for laborers to come. But you are the laborer. Like, what on earth are we doing? We're making it a mockery. And you understand we're going to be held accountable. Like, I don't want to stand before him with blood on my hands. Like, tell them the truth. Tell them the truth. Well, they're going to get angry. Tell them the truth. Well, the, the, tell them the truth. Stop it. Stop with this weird Christianity that people are doing. Tell them the truth. I'm not telling you to fight and yell and scream and damn them to hell. But the reality is, 
And that's where they're heading. And you say, but why do we have to include the message of hell and present them the gospel? Because they need to understand the greatness of our God that will deliver them from a place that they so rightfully deserve because of themselves, not because of God, because of themselves. It's God who delivers them. God doesn't send them. They choose because they choose to remain ignorant of truly who God is and the means that he provided for them to live the fullness of life. The fullness of life. So these tools, again, that you have, you should be engaging with them and learning of the one in whom you say, I love you, Jesus. And you can't be loving them when you're in bed with everything else and anything else. Like, to be true to him, to be set apart for him and him alone. So, Lord's Day 48. Still dealing with the Lord's Prayer. Here's just one question we have today. What does the second petition mean in the Lord's Prayer? And you say, well, what is the second position? Well, you ought to know it. If you don't know it. And if you don't know it, you're not a bad Christian. But would you go learn it? The second position is this. Your kingdom come. And what does this mean? Why do we pray that? Why would Jesus instruct? Now remember, the disciples didn't ask him for anything else, but they asked him, teach us to what? Pray. And this is this example. And it's not to be a mantra that you pray over and over and over and over. It's not a rabbit's foot. It's not some chant or incantation that these weird religions do. It's a a sample. It's an understanding. It's the depth of meaning behind the words. So why would he instruct us to petition, your kingdom come? Well, here's what it means. (laughs) So when you say this, understand what you're saying. This is what you're saying. Rule us by, the, by your word and spirit in such a way that more and more we submit to you. Preserve your church and make it grow. Destroy the devil's work. Destroy every force which revolts against you and every conspiracy against your holy word. Do this until your kingdom fully comes when you will be all and all. Rule us. <laughs> That's beautiful. And I don't know if we really have set. I don't know if you treasure the word of God, you all. <laughs> but I'm telling you. I mean, again, you're looking at end of my flesh and end of myself. I'm an ignorant man. <laughs> I don't like to read. I don't like to study in my flesh. But oh, man. Now that I've given my life to Christ, how am I to live now? I mean, when you consider the cost, when you seriously, really consider the cost, and you get up and you say, I'm going to follow you, Jesus. Do you know what that means? It doesn't mean your, your church attendance. It doesn't mean all your church participation. It doesn't mean anything about no institution has everything to do with Christ. 
God, how am I to live now? Oh, I need, I need your word. I mean, you got to get radical. Because you know your flesh. Your flesh is not going to gravitate to the word. So you got to get radical and get the word in front of you to hide it in your heart. you got to be praying, God, I want my heart to be good soil. I don't know when's the last time you asked God of that. I want my heart to be good soil. You should pray that before you come into church or when you go before you listen to a teaching. Like, God, I want to receive it. I don't want to be like those in your word, God, that you clearly define. Hear the word. Woo-hoo, is are excited about it. But then the troubles of life, the cares of the life come and they choke it out of them. I don't want to be like those people that the devil comes and snatches the word out. No, no, God, I want to be the person who has a good heart and the soil is rich and ripe and ready to receive what's planted in it so it can produce within me. I don't know if you're talking this way, but you ought to be. You ought to be. Because there's a way in which we ought to be living. And it's as unto Christ. Again, it's just not church. Remember, church isn't a place. Church is, you are the church. Don't go go to church. No, you are the church. Stop separating yourself. Stop seeing yourself outside. You're his hands and his feet. That's what Jesus says. We've made it everything else. Oh, that we would know our God. Walking through Scripture. First Chronicles is going to be played over us, but I'm going to give you a little update before we go into this portion. It's going to be First Chronicles chapter 15 through 16. Last week, if you were here, we saw King David. And remember, this is important. This is important. The, the chronicler is, is, chrono, is, is writing down all of this so that the people who are coming out of slavery, they've been in prison, they've been taken away, now they're coming back and they're giving their lands back to them. Their identity has been given back to them. They need to know who their God is and their identity as a people. Oh, how important that is for us, coming out from our old ways of living, coming out from the shackling of sin and the destruction of it. And now we're giving this new kingdom that we were always originally intended to have. We need to know our God and we need to know who we are and what we have access to. So last week we saw King David. He sought counsel to bring the ark back into Jerusalem or into his um, area. And he did it wrong. He asked how they should carry the ark, but he didn't hear the right advice, so they put it on the cart the way the the enemies of God did. That's how Philistines carried it around. And so there they were on a cart, and Uzzah goes to reach up to hold the cart because it stumbled, it hit a a pothole and it was going to fall over, and then God killed Uzzah. And David is angry, and David's like, "Oh, we're not leave the cart, leave the leave the ark there with that other priest. Let him hold on to it." And you remember they were worshiping. All this stuff was going on as the cart was sitting on. I mean, as the ark was sitting on a cart. 
And they thought they were doing right in God's sight until God struck Uzzah dead. Then everyone's got attention. Is looking like, what just happened? The worship meant nothing because they made it so common. They were treating God as if he was common. They were doing what they wanted to do in the presence of God. I don't know when you come to church or when you prepare your heart for worship, even in your own quiet time. If you're just doing it and then you just get up and just go, no, you, it ought to be in reverence. Like, oh God. I mean, do you understand what, what we've been allowed? Do you understand what you are even being allowed to hear today in this moment? To hear the word of God. I know how we should just sit there just for a second. Like, oh God. Like you love us that much. That we just don't treat it flippantly, flippantly, flippantly. Just don't do it common. Oh, let's praise and you know, do all this fanfare and stuff. And in reality, it doesn't mean anything. We're worshiping him like the pagans worship their gods. There's been many churches I've gone to and been asked years ago when I used to go into different churches and called in to kind of pray and kind of let the pastors know what's going on. And I remember I used to have to tell these pastors, oh, you're intercessors? They're witches. They're doing nothing different than what I did when I was in the occult. Why are you allowing that in your church? I mean, this is the reality. I mean, you know there's blatant sin going on here, Pastor. I've only been in your church for a week. But you realize your worship pastor is sleeping with the, the youth pastor's wife. And it seems to be common knowledge among everyone, but no one says anything. Oh, but the church is growing. We don't want to rump stretch it or we don't, we don't want to cause any division or anything. What? Would you allow sin to remain? It doesn't matter if you're packing it out with 10,000 people. That doesn't mean God is blessing your church. <laughs> the devil loves nothing more than to get people in there and you making them twice as much the son of hell as you are. I mean, come on. You can't just treat it as nothing. But today, oh, the good news. David learns his lesson. And he begins to let the priests know and how all Israel know this is how we will carry the ark. And this is how we will worship our God. And the chronicler is capturing all of this for this new generation that's coming in so that they understand the holiness of God and how to really abide with him and maintain the level of worship that God receives. So Carrie, if you'll play these chapters for us. So follow along if you have your Bible. Preparing to move the ark. David now built several buildings for himself in the city of David. He also prepared a place for the ark of God and set up a special tent for it. 
Then he commanded, No one except the Levites may carry the ark of God. The Lord has chosen them to carry the ark of the Lord and to serve him forever. Then David summoned all Israel to Jerusalem to bring the ark of the Lord to the place he had prepared for it. This is the number of the descendants of Aaron, the priests, and the Levites who were called together. From the clan of Kohath, 120, with Uriel as their leader. From the clan of Merari, 220, with Asahiah as their leader. From the clan of Gershon, 130, with Joel as their leader. From the descendants of Elizaphan, 200, with Shemaiah as their leader. From the descendants of Hebron, 80, with Eliel as their leader. From the descendants of Uzziel, 112, with Aminadab as their leader. Then David summoned the priests, Zadok and Abiathar, and these Levite leaders, Uriel, Asaiah, Joel, Shemaiah, Eliel, and Aminadab. He said to them, You are the leaders of the Levite families. You must purify yourselves and all your fellow Levites, so you can bring the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel, to the place I have prepared for it. Because you Levites did not carry the ark the first time, the anger of the Lord our God burst out against us. We failed to ask God how to move it properly. Mm. So the priests and the Levites purified themselves in order to bring the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel, to Jerusalem. Then the Levites carried the ark of God on their shoulders with its carrying poles, just as the Lord had instructed Moses. David also ordered the Levite leaders to appoint a choir of Levites who were singers and musicians to sing joyful songs to the accompaniment of harps, lyres, and cymbals. So the Levites appointed Heman, son of Joel, along with his fellow Levites, Asaph, son of Berechiah, and Ethan, son of Cushiah, from the clan of Mirari. The following men were chosen as their assistants, Zechariah, Jeaziel, Shemaramoth, Jehiel, Unai, Eliab, Benaiah, Maaseah, Mattathiah, Eliphalahu, Mikniah, and the gatekeepers Obed-Edom and Jeiel. The musicians, Heman, Asaph, and Ethan, were chosen to sound the bronze cymbals. Zechariah, Aziel, Shimaramoth, Jehiel, Unai, Eliab, Maaseah, and Benaiah were chosen to play the harps. Mattathiah, Eliphalahu, Mikniah, Obed-Edom, Jeiel, and Azaziah were chosen to play the lyres. Kenaniah, the head Levite, was chosen as the choir leader because of his skill. Berechiah and Elkanah were chosen to guard the ark. Shebaniah, Joshaphat, Nethanol, Amasai, Zechariah, Benaiah, and Eleazar, all of whom were priests, were chosen to blow the trumpets as they marched in front of the ark of God. Obed-Edom and Jehiah were chosen to guard the ark. Moving the ark to Jerusalem. Then David and the elders of Israel and the generals of the army went to the house of Obed-Edom to bring the Ark of the Lord's Covenant up to Jerusalem with a great celebration. And because God was clearly helping the Levites as they carried the Ark of the Lord's Covenant, they sacrificed seven bulls and seven rams. David was dressed in a robe of fine linen, as were all the Levites of the Ark, and also the singers, and Kenaniah the choir leader. David was also wearing a priestly garment. So all Israel brought up the Ark of the Lord's Covenant with shouts of joy, the blowing of ram's horns and trumpets, the crashing of cymbals, and loud playing on harps and lyres. But as the Ark of the Lord's Covenant entered the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked down from her window. When she saw King David skipping about and laughing with joy, she was filled with contempt for him. Jesus. Chapter 16 
They brought the Ark of God and placed it inside the special tent David had prepared for it. And they presented burnt offerings and peace offerings to God. When he had finished his sacrifices, David blessed the people in the name of the Lord. Then he gave to every man and woman in all Israel a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins. David appointed the following Levites to lead the people in worship before the Ark of the Lord, to invoke his blessings, to give thanks, and to praise the Lord, the God of Israel. Asaph, the leader of this group, sounded the cymbals. Second to him was Zechariah, followed by Jeiel, Shemiramoth, Jehiel, Mattathiah, Eliab, Benaiah, Obed-Edom, and Jeiel. They played the harps and lyres. The priests, Benaiah and Jehaziel, put the trumpets regularly before the Ark of God's Covenant. David's Song of Praise On that day, David gave to Asaph and his fellow Levites this song of thanksgiving to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord and proclaim His greatness. Let the whole world know what He has done. Sing to Him, yes, sing His praises. Tell everyone about His wonderful deeds. Exalt in His holy name. Rejoice, you who worship the Lord. Search for the Lord and for His strength. Continually seek Him. Remember the wonders He has performed, His miracles and the rulings He has given. You children of His servant Israel, you descendants of Jacob, His chosen ones. He is the Lord our God. His justice is seen throughout the land. Remember His covenant forever, the commitment He made to a thousand generations. This is the covenant he made with Abraham, and the oath he swore to Isaac. He confirmed it to Jacob as a decree, and to the people of Israel as a never-ending covenant. I will give you the land of Canaan as your special possession. He said this when you were few in number, a tiny group of strangers in Canaan. They wandered from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another. Yet he did not let anyone oppress them. He warned kings on their behalf. Do not touch my chosen people, and do not hurt my prophets. Let the whole earth sing to the Lord. Each day proclaim the good news that he saves. Publish his glorious deeds among the nations. Tell everyone about the amazing things he does. Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. The gods of other nations are mere idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty surround him. Strength and joy fill his dwelling. O nations of the world, recognize the Lord. Recognize that the Lord is glorious and strong. Give to the Lord the glory he deserves. Bring your offering and come into his presence. Worship the Lord in all his holy splendor. Let all the earth tremble before him. Wow. The world stands firm and cannot be shaken. Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. Tell all the nations the Lord reigns. Let the sea and everything in it shout his praise. Let the fields and their crops burst out with joy. Let the trees of the forest rustle with praise. For the Lord is coming to judge the earth. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Cry out, save us, O God of our salvation. Gather and rescue us from among the nations, so we can thank your holy name and rejoice and praise you. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, who lives from everlasting to everlasting. And all the people shouted, Amen. And
So there we are. And there you see Micah, the daughter of Saul, David's wife, has content in her heart for how he's worshiping God. Be mindful of how you look at others and judge others in their worship. <coughs> and then I would encourage you with this psalm that David penned, the song of praise. Go back in First uh, Chronicles chapter 16 this week from verses 7 through 36 and just meditate on that. Because just as they were instructed, we're instructed today. This is the God in whom we are called to give glory and honor to, to praise his name. Go to Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 32. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 32. But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful people. So you can circle that, you can highlight that, the word all. Not just a select few. All sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Unbelief. Unbelief. They suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. All of us. Again, we're all born into sin. All of us, every man, woman, boy, girl, all of us, when we look at creation, we know that there's a creator. Now, we may try to suppress that truth and conjure up all these other teachings, but that the truth is, it stands as it is. No man can change it. But it's because of people's unbelief. They refuse to turn to God. They refuse to believe in the Creator, they conjure up other things because they're wicked, because they're sinful. Verse 21, Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship Him as God or even give Him thanks. And they begin, look at this, unless you want to keep blaming God. No, no, look what mankind, the created, does. And they begin to think of foolish ideals of what God was like. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. And because of this, because of this, this next line, verse 24, so God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desire. And you need to understand this, you all. God abandons them. It's a sign of judgment. God turns them over. 
to what they desire, to what they want to worship, to their longing. And I live that, all of us live this way before we come to Christ, longing for the created to satisfy them. So we just keep giving ourselves over to these desires. And because of this, as a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshipped and served the things God created instead of the Creator Himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. That is why God, there's that word again, abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men, and as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Since they forgot it, since they thought it <coughs> foolish to acknowledge God, here it is again, He abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, or sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning, and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand, break their promises, are heartless, and have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die. Yet they do them anyway. And worse yet, and worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. Unbelief. Look what it leads to. And I know a lot of times you may hear this portion of Scripture preached and we just hone in on homosexuality. But you better open up and see that it's beyond just homosexuality. Look at, look at everything else that was listed there. Envy. Jealousy. I mean, look at this. Proud. Boastful. Greedy. Filled with hate. Quarreling. Lies. Deception. All of that comes from a nature and why we just want to take homosexuality and throw it out as, as the only sin, when the reality is, it's sin. It's the very nature. And so when you're ministering to people who are in that lifestyle, it's beyond more than just that lifestyle. My old nature just wasn't a homosexual. I was a thief, I was a murderer, I was a liar, (laughs) I was greedy, I was boastful. All of it, because of the nature in and of itself, is sin. It's sin. That's why I've always told you when churches used to, I don't get that many invites anymore, but when they used to invite me to speak, oh, come to our congregation, teach them how to minister to homosexuals. I always want to ask the pastor, well, how do you minister to an adulterer? 
How do you minister to a backbiter or a woman that's a gossiper? What does that have to do with it? Well, are you addressing those issues from your pulpit? How are you addressing the nature of sin from your pulpit? Because if we're just addressing homosexuality from your pulpit, then something's wrong. That's what keeps things divided. No, let's welcome all sinners. And don't allow this and that and this and that and then say this is wrong. And that's wrong, but we'll cover this up. No, we're to be the church of Christ. Sin is not to be mastering us. We understand the nature of sin. We understand when God turns people over to their desires, what can come forth? Oh, it ought not to shock us. What can come from a life of unbelief? Oh, you can have a form of religion. And you could do and say whatever. Poof, everyone's a Christian. Poof, everyone's going to heaven. <laughs> but this is the reality. Unless we forget at the beginning, God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people. And how does he show his anger? He abandons them. You want that? You want to serve that? You want to run after that created? You want to do this and you want to do that? Here, here, have your share and fill. Live in unbelief. It's your choosing. Because he's not going to force you to love him. But that's the graciousness of our God when he reveals himself to us. <coughs> and you go, oh God. Forgive me. See, that's how you humble yourself instead of making excuses. And now the church is letting everything and anything in and promoting everything and anything <laughs> instead of standing up, as I said earlier, raising up the standard of righteousness, not just to one group of people, but to all sinners, to all the message is the same. There is freedom in Christ. There is transformed lives that come forth from a life surrendered to Christ. Come to Christ. I don't want to. I want to keep living and doing what I want. Okay. Enjoy it. Enjoy. Have at it. But we just don't go changing the gospel. We don't go changing God's word. I told you before, and I'm unwrapping up. I know we're running late. But God, Jesus did not chase after the thousands that left him because it got too hard for them to understand. He didn't change who he was, and he didn't change who his word. He didn't say, okay, I'll soften it up for you all if you just stay with me. No, he watched them all walk away. And then he looked at the twelve, one still being Judas, that he knew would ultimately betray him, he looked and said, are you leaving too? I, you know, just need to know. Where can we go? You hold the words to eternal life. What's there to go back to? See, until you get to a place in your life 
where you stop looking back over here like the created is going to satisfy you or give you what you need to make you feel like you have purpose. No, no. You recognize, wait a minute, I'm a sinner. And because of that, God turned me over to all of these shameful desires and all of these ways that I lived. However you lived before Christ. (laughs) But God, you love me so much. You set me free. That's why I said, there's too many Christians sitting in silence. Some of y'all just need to tell your testimony. (laughs) Some of y'all just need to get up. and, and, And it's not you. It has nothing to do with you, but it has all of him. Don't point to yourself. Point to him. I was a wretched sinner. Some of the darkest things I did in my life, I'm not proud of who I was. It sickens me to think that I allowed myself to get there because I chose not to believe. And the one who was so gracious and kind throughout my life to keep revealing himself to me. See, he's revealing himself to us over and over and over and over. We're the ones that are saying, no, you're not God, I am. I'm not believing in all that. No, I'll worship how I want to worship and do what I want to do. But we've got to wake up. We've got to wake up, you all. So be encouraged this week. Go forth. Tell the good news. Again, you're not out there bashing people over the head. You don't have to act ugly to people. You don't hate them. You ought not to. I don't hate them. I love them enough. It's like any other sinner. You know? Because the message is for all of us. There's freedom in Christ, you all. There's freedom in Christ. And I can't wait for chapter 2 for next week. Go to Psalm 10, verse 1 through 15. Psalm 10, verse 1 through 15. Here's some encouragement from the book of Psalms to encourage you to look up. The psalmist writes, O Lord, why do you stand so far away? Why do you hide when I'm in trouble? The wicked arrogantly hunt down the poor. Let them be caught in the evil they planned for others. For they bragged about their evil desires. They praise the greedy and curse the Lord. The wicked are too proud to seek God. Oh, we just read that in Romans. (laughs) They seem to think that God is dead. Yet they succeed in everything they do. They do not see your punishment awaiting them. They sneer at their enemies. They think nothing bad will ever happen to us. We will be free of trouble forever. Their mouths are full of cursing, lies, and threats. Trouble and evil are on the tips of their tongues. They lurk in ambush in the villages, waiting to murder innocent people. They are always searching for helpless victims. Like lions crouched in hiding, they wait to pounce on the helpless. Like hunters, they capture the helpless and drag them away in nets. Their helpless victims are crushed. They fail beneath, or they fall beneath the strength of the wicked. The wicked think, God isn't watching us. He has closed his eyes and won't even see what we do. Arise, O Lord. 
Punish the wicked, O God. Don't ignore the helpless. Why do the wicked get away with despising God? They think God will never call us to account. But you see the trouble and grief they cause. You take note of it and punish them. The helpless put their trust in you. You defend the orphans. And we're only going to read to verse 15. Break the arms of these wicked, evil people. Go after them until the last one is destroyed. The wicked. They have no sense of the presence of God. They mock him. They keep doing whatever they want. But ultimately, you all, God will have the final say. Go to Proverbs. Ending in Proverbs 19, verse 6 through 7. Proverbs 19, verse 6 through 7. Two nuggets of wisdom. Many seek favors from a ruler. Everyone is a friend of a person who gives gifts. The relatives of the poor despise them. How much more were their friends avoid them? Though the poor plead with them, their friends are gone. Oh, that we would heed wisdom, you all. There is a way in which we're called to live, and it is unto Christ. Let us close with a song of worship, and then I'll close this in prayer.